0: Well, today we, uh, we end this series temporarily on marriage. A dream within a dream. Uh, sometimes it's more like a nightmare, isn't it? You know, a healthy marriage takes a lot of humility and a lot of work. A lot of humility and a lot of work. A few weeks ago, I had an epiphany that's a wake-up call. And this wake-up call was this. For many of you who have been a part of this series, this has been like a cup of cold water in the desert. And I'm going to need some Kleenex. So, Cal, would you get me some? Sorry. The allergies this morning are, are kicking up. Um, no, that's okay. Um, those are usually used. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember my daddy always, you know, handing me his handkerchief. And I would look at it and i think, no thanks, no Thanks. But I had this epiphany, and it was Got you something a little more absorbent. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and this, uh, you know, marriage takes a lot of work, and it's been like a cup of fresh cold water to many. But to others, it's been like salt and old wounds. And I was mourning that and I asked the question in my 25 years of working with couples, how do you develop old wounds in a marriage? That's not what we ever intended, is it? And I realized that Oftentimes, these old wounds develop as a result of beginning with benign neglect. After our honeymoon, things get busy. Life happens, doesn't it? Uh, You begin to focus on other priorities, especially after kids arrive, and life gets very, very crowded. Then things happen, conflict arises, and you begin to hold grudges, and things go unresolved, and wounds develop and begin to fester and obsess. Before you know it, something happens within the relationship. It's what Sheldon Vonneken called a creeping separateness. A creeping separateness settles in, and pretty soon you become like two individuals passing in the night. And then that develops into this sort of a policy of where you stay together, but you develop a posture in your marriage that is more like the military posture of don't ask don't tell. And I realized when I came to that conclusion I shared this with Kim and she said what do you mean by that? I said I mean this. I said people people quit asking for more than what they have. And then they stop telling the other person this is what I really long for for us. for us. And then you begin to keep people at arm's distance, your spouse, and two realities happen. One is this, there's a disconnected mediocrity that settles in physically, emotionally, and spiritually, which develops into a hardness of heart. And, folks, we have too many hard hearts in our marriages at Evelyn. Too many. And I pity those who have a hard heart because if you belong to Christ, he will crush it. And that is a good thing because he wants to start something new. And then another reality is this a legacy of fear begins to develop in the lives of your children who then come to me at some point in their future or to Brian and say with their significant other I'm thinking we're thinking about getting married and we begin to talk through with them but then there's this fear that develops within their own eyes And we begin to deal with that and probe that, and they begin to say, I don't want a marriage like my parents or what I've seen elsewhere. And it scares them. The very place where they are to see vibrancy and life has become a place that bears the stench of death. It's in their own home. Or maybe it's not always in their own home. Maybe it's within others that they know at the church. Or others within other churches. It doesn't really matter. See, because we have this naive assumption that when two believers get married, they come under the lordship of Christ, and they're actually supposed to get along and work on things together. And that's what our children, we tell them to do. But then they watch it and they think sometimes just the opposite happens. And this is not to be guilt inducing at all, but to help us come to grips with the reality and hopefully mourn, not out of guilt but out of hunger and thirst for God, I want what you have. Because not a single one of us stood before the preacher or the judge or whomever we went through and said, this is the reality that we want, is it? This disconnected mediocrity of mutual existence passing in the night. Oh, I know what it's like. In 1997, Kim and I went through a season where for a variety of reasons we were drifting apart. And we had really, I had really adopted a posture of don't ask, don't tell. And primarily it's because I didn't know how to ask and I didn't know how to tell. And I sat before a counselor and I said, I'm bored. And invited Kim in and she thought she was coming in to help me with my problems (laughs) and we laugh at that now but it was the greatest blessing that ever happened to us great blessing for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife fully engaged transparent in a covenant relationship without shame but with freedom and dancing and joy engage physically emotionally and spiritually without shame without condemnation without hiding without a don't ask don't tell policy and as a result of that these two separate individuals they will become one flesh that is formed by the very power of Almighty God until we begin to fight against it. At the center of this oneness that Paul speaks about, that God talked about, that God is engaged with us regarding is the last topic I want to talk about this morning, and it's called friendship. Friendship. At the center of this oneness is a deep friendship. This is the vision God is committed to on our behalf for our joy and for His glory. This deep, open, transparent, vulnerable, engaging, serving friendship gives us joy because that's what he intended us to engage in, and it gives him glory. And that means he dances with us in the midst of that kind of engagement. This is the vision that God is willing to move the resources from heaven into your home on behalf of you. If you're humble, and if you're hungry, and if you're finished with blaming your spouse for your actions and your attitudes and your choices, but instead you're willing, I am willing to humble myself and say, I want to be the kind of person you want me to be by your very power in this relationship. I can't control anybody else except me. Except me. This friendship, this oneness has got to be a priority. In Proverbs 18:1, it says, and this applies to the community, but it also applies to marriage. Whoever isolates himself, in other words, for whatever reason, pushes him or her away to keep at arm's distance, seeks his own desire. That means his own personal idols, his own selfishness, his own self protection, his own pain, his own ego, his own pride. And whenever we do that, we break out against, we show contempt for all sound judgment. Why? It's stupid. It's dumb. We're being a fool and we are destroying the very thing that God is trying to do in our community of the marriage relationship. See, friendship connects us. Friendship connects us. Marital friendship is a deep oneness that comes through a mutual journey to the same horizon, according to Tim Keller. Best definition I ever had, so I just ripped it off and give him credit. It is a deep oneness that comes about through a mutual journey towards a shared horizon. Let me break that down real quickly. It's a mutual journey Over time, as you enter into any kind of community, but especially marriage, you choose to discover who this person is. And you say, I want to know you, and you do it with an attitude and a heart that says, I am safe for you to reveal yourself to. And what I discover, I will not use against you in the court of law or marriage. It's a discovery. It's a discovery. And it says, I love you, I choose to love you, and I choose to accept you. Now, how well do you know your spouse? Well, if you're living in the midst of a disconnected mediocrity, you don't know him very well. I have a couple of questions for you to consider, and I have a whole lot more, and they're on the back table in the foyer. In the back table in the fellowship room, okay? There's like 50 questions that will help you connect with your spouse, okay? Questions like, the best thing about our relationship is what? And just hear what they have to say. I am most afraid when? I feel most lonely with you when? I feel loved by you when? What I like most about myself is? It's just revealing your heart. It's sharing your story. And there's a whole bunch more back there. I asked him some of these questions. And she said, oh, you've been reviewing the questions again. <laughs> I says said, yes. And I want to say this. This connection, this mutual journey, where you seek to know and discover one another at deeper and deeper levels over longer, longer periods of time, and you do it in a way that is not blaming, it's not criticizing, you just help me know you, because I want to know you, I long to know you. The sexual intimacy of marriage pictures that very pursuit. If you're under 18, close your ears. But when a man, actually those who are under 18 are saying, maybe the older folks should close their ears. We know all this. Let me give you a theological understanding of sexuality. It's this. When a man enters a woman who is his wife in the sacred covenant of marriage, he is saying, I want to know you. I want to know you in the deepest parts of your soul and of your life. And I want to love you. I want to accept you. And I am safe for you to be with. And when a woman receives a man... She is saying, I am allowing you to know me in the deepest parts of my being. And I will reveal myself to you, my deepest desires, my deepest hearts, my deepest fears. I will not hide from you. But I share myself with you wholly and openly and intimately. Do you understand why sex is only safe in the covenant of marriage? When you understand that, it's not just pleasing yourself. No, it's a beautiful picture of a much deeper reality that is spiritual, that is emotional. It's physical. It is a mutual journey that connects us. It is a mutual journey to the same horizon. What is meant by this is that you have a shared destination. When a couple stands before me or before a minister and she is all decked out in all of her glory and he is more dressed up than he ever has been or probably ever will be, they're not just plain dress up. It's a vision, it's a vision of the future. We're saying that someday we will stand before the throne of God, holy and blameless, in the beauty of who he is creating us to be. And right now, we begin that journey. We begin that journey. And the man looks at his wife and he says to her, I see what God wants to do in your life. And I get to be a part of that! And the wife has that same redemptive role in his life. And she says, I see beyond the dirt. I see beyond the imperfections. I see beyond the flaws. What God wants to do in your life. The kind of man that God wants to form you into. And I want to be a part of that with you. And together, we will stand before Jesus In all of our completeness, knowing that marriage had a part in bringing us to that point. Bringing us to that point. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. Why did he do that? To make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church. Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. But holy and blameless. Marriage is a picture of this reality of what Christ did for the church, I do for my wife, and believe it or not, my wife does for me. She has that same redemptive role and it's explained in a different way in 1 Peter 1, 3, 1-6. Each person sees the vision of what God is bringing out in the other person's life and you see beneath the flaws, the weaknesses to something Absolutely ravishing. And you get to be a part of that process. Friendship connects us in those realities. But friendship also fortifies us. It fortifies us. What do I mean by that? It's this. And I love this quote by Tim Keller. And it's this. And just hear this. For this, for re- the reason friendship must have priority is because of the power of marriage. Marriage has the power to set the course of your life as a whole. If your marriage is strong, even if all the circumstances in your life around you are filled with trouble and weakness, it won't matter you will be able to move out into the world in strength. Amen, guys? However, if your marriage is weak, even if all the circumstances in your life around you are marked by success and strength, it won't matter. You will move out into the world in weakness. Marriage has that kind of power, the power to set the course of your life. It has that power because it was instituted by God. And because it has that unequaled power, it must have an unequaled supreme priority. In other words, it doesn't matter how successful you are in your life. If you're failing in your marriage, you're going to enter into the world in weakness and defeat and despair. Friendship connects us. Friendship fortifies us. And friendship fulfills us. What does that mean? What do I mean by that? I ran across something that Kim and I started reading a book by uh, the author of Emotional Intelligence, John Gottman from the University of Washington. Not a Christian book by any stretch of the imagination, but he has captured a reality that is very, very true and biblical. And it's this. The determining factor in whether or not wives feel satisfied in the sexual relationship With the sex, romance, and passion in their marriages, by 70%, the quality of the couple's friendship is determined by the couple's friendship. For men, the determining factor is, by 70%, the quality of the couple's friendship. In other words, what he's saying is this. Romance means nothing if there is no friendship. See, we oftentimes will choose to date or not date or marry or not marry based upon romantic feelings. Uh, we We got it wrong. We must choose to date or not date, not based upon romantic feelings, but based upon whether or not this is a person with whom I can become a very close friend. And as a result of that, romance comes. If we pursue romance as the priority in determining whether or not I choose to date or marry or build my marriage, if I use romance as the determining factor for that, it will not last. Because friendship will, de- will, de- will grow into romance. Romance. Romance does not always grow into friendship. Okay? Friendship, what's the first point? Connects us. Okay, everybody say that. Friendship connects us. Friendship fortifies us. Friendship fulfills us. But Martin, I'm afraid... I want to tell you this, we cannot let fear and mediocrity be the umpires of our lives. We cannot allow choosing not to approach my spouse and say, this is the person I want to become because I have been hurt or whatever the reason, because of pride and because of ego. We cannot allow pride and ego and fear to become the umpires of our lives that determine our decisions and shape our directions. See, fear and pride and ego and pain become these umpires who call the shots, and they sabotage our relationships and they deform our children, and it's tragic. But Martin, where do I begin? Begin with yourself. Don't ever come to me and say, "I want you to change my spouse." If you come to me and your spouse is you're struggling with your spouse, I'm going to start by asking, "What can you begin to do?" Because every problem in marriage is, has two sides. Has two sides. Begin with yourself, the choices that you can make and that you can control. I'm going to bring us back here to where we started so many weeks ago. Submit to one another. Each man, each woman right here, right now, from this point forward, make a choice to mutually submit to one another, to deny your own self-interest so that you might fulfill the needs of another person. And make that other person your spouse. Submit to one another. Because of what I get out of it. No. Submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. That's where it starts. Worship. And I'm not talking about singing songs. I'm talking about you. In Jesus. You in Jesus. This is where you begin if you're married. This is where you begin if you're single. And I'm just going to mention this real quickly. Marriage is nothing more than a deeper oneness, a deeper community than what one is experiencing in the church. If one is not willing to be mutual submissive to one another within the context of the body of Christ that person is not a good candidate for marriage. Because the character that is formed in the context of community, of that mutual submission, is the same character that will be formed, that will, be, that will carry through in the marriage community. Okay? So if you're considering, if you're single and you're considering dating someone in the church, but you find that person not willing to serve, not willing to be mutually submissive to one another, to denying their own self-interest so that they can may serve the needs of another, that person is not a good candidate for you. Okay? But that's where you begin. And begin looking to the future. Begin talking. Go through those questions. If you're married and you're disconnected, go and grab those questions and begin to take one or two a week where you just go out to coffee and you begin to rebuild that relationship and connect and build that friendship. But what you need most, that's critical, but what you need even more than that is to press into Jesus. In Mark 5, there's a woman who was hemorrhaging, and she had spent all of her life and all of her savings and all of her money trying to go to doctors who were crackpots. Well-intentioned, they were doing for her what they knew to do, but none of it helped. And she was about to give up hope, and then she heard Jesus was in town. And so she went to him, she was surrounded by a crowd, and she thought, if I could only touch his cloak. And she pressed in, she broke all of the rules, and she pressed in towards him, and she reached out, she touched his cloak, and all of a sudden, she was healed. And he looked around and says, someone just touched me. Well, yeah, Jesus, you're in a crowd. No, someone touched me for a purpose. And he found the woman and she was scared to death because she had broken all of the rules. And he looked at her. He took her by the hand. He says, your faith has healed you. What's that got to do with our marriage? It starts with each and every one of us pressing into Jesus Christ. Pressing into Jesus Christ and making him the priority in my life. Without that, our hearts are going to harden. And if you are lucky, then your heart will be crushed. Crushed. So that something new can be born and can come out. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we just want to say thank you for your mercy. And even sometimes, Father, your severe mercy. Your severe mercy. Father, may you meet each one of us here. And Father, may we be like that woman in Mark 5 who just presses in and says, we're desperate. I'm desperate. I'm desperate. In Jesus' name.